really lovely to, to be at St Albans this morning and see some faces back after the, the summertime. Very great. Shall we just pray? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we get this time to be together and with you. Lord, thank you that you call us to be church. Just build us up, refresh us this morning, revive us in you. Amen. Mummy, I'm awake, but the sheep is still sleeping. I don't know if you've had the privilege of ever staying overnight where there's been young children in the house. If you have, you'll know that young children don't tend to sleep in. They haven't grasped the concept of a weekend and um, generally speaking, they like six o'clock in the morning. Well, our middle one really liked the hour of four o'clock um, as the wake-up time for about five years. Um, so in desperation, we bought him one of these special clocks. You know, you might have seen them, and there'd be a little picture of the sheep, and the sheep would be asleep, and the screen would be dark, and mummy and daddy would set the clock for seven o'clock. And at seven o'clock, the light would go on on the clock and the sheep would wake up and it would change picture and there'd be this nice sheep playing in the field. And the idea was that he was to spend time alone in bed until the sheep was awake. Mummy, I'm awake, but the sheep's not. He stood in the hallway upstairs shaking the clock. It didn't work. We did it for about five weeks. It didn't work. Anyway... I don't know what your life is like right now, what season you're in, um, and what your week has been like this past week. And I know for me, um, the, the irony of standing here and speaking on solitude this week has not gone past me. For me, it's been an incredibly busy week, seeing three children back off to school, doing our staff induction programme. Uh, we haven't yet managed to get an administrator. There's been lots to do, and it's been a busy week. Your week, you might be thinking, that sounds easy, Nick. My week's been way busier than that. And, you know, but God's made us with different capacities, and you may have been living in a really busy week this week. Alternatively, you may have come to church this morning and your past week has actually been quite spacious. At times it may even have been uncomfortably spacious. I know that there have been seasons for me when I've been quite lonely actually. There has been time in my week. And what we're talking about today is this Christian discipline of solitude. And what I've come to discover over time is that whether you are really busy and life is full speed and everything is frenetic, or whether you're in a season where sometimes it's uncomfortably spacious, in either of those places, solitude with God is actually a discipline. Solitude with God isn't easier when you've got more time necessarily. It's a discipline and we'll look at that as we go through today. Why is it a discipline? It's a discipline because whether we've got laser space or we're super busy, the noise in our heads and the noise outside us can remain strong. 
So I know for me that when I've been in seasons of life when I felt perhaps lonely, even a little bit depressed at certain points in my life, that the noise in my head can still be really loud and really, really busy. So that even though I've got time alone, I'm not necessarily laying it down that it's God's time. Instead, I'm filling it with my own internalizing, my own philosophizing, my own thoughts, my own busyness, my own kind of, why am I lonely this week? Why am I feeling down this week? What's going on this week? Should I, maybe I should go to that party. Maybe I should. Your mind and your spaciousness can be very busy. Likewise, in the week I've just had, my mind has also been incredibly busy. I've woken up thinking, is it rugby boots or football boots as the first thought as I've woken up in the morning? What am I doing next? And my mind has been equally busy, but in a different way. And so what we're talking about today, we're talking about the Christian discipline of solitude. Solitude is about deliberately giving over some time so that it's God's time. And whether you're busy or not, it remains a discipline to do that. So, many of us here, I know, do have pretty busy lives. And when I read through the Gospels, I get a sense that Jesus Christ was pretty busy. Um, Particularly if you read Mark's Gospel. We're going to be in that passage today, and you might want that first chapter open. In chapter 1, the amount that happens in chapter 1 is quite huge. Now, Mark writes his Gospel at full speed, as it were. But you get this sense as you're reading through that Jesus was not someone who kicked back and had time on the beach to just kind of hang. He was doing a lot of stuff all the time. He always, um, he was always teaching people. He was healing people. He never passed up the opportunity to eat with someone. If someone invited him to eat with them, he was right there. He never turned down those invitations. He taught, he healed, the crowds were following after him. And yet he practiced this discipline of solitude His practice of this discipline of solitude seems to have come probably at a cost for him. So in that little bit of passage that we've got there in Mark, you'll notice um, the bit beforehand in verses uh, 33, 34, he's basically there and uh, the crowds have been coming to him and it's been quite late into the evening and he's been healing people, yet he gets up early in the morning, whilst it was still dark, to go off and be with his father alone. Practicing being alone with God for Jesus came at a cost, sometimes the cost of of giving up a bit of sleep. Sometimes it came at the cost of um, environment. He went into the desert to be alone with God. He went to the place that nobody really wants to be in order that he could get alone with God. Sometimes it came at the cost of actually hiding. There's all these crowds running after him. In our celebrity culture here in the UK, what would you do? You'd turn up for every crowd. Yes, photograph me. No, Jesus deliberately runs away from the kind of fame um, and the, um, the sort of affirmation he got from the people to hide. And it must have come at a cost. Cost of sleep, cost of environment, cost at times perhaps of missing out on that party that affirmation he might get from the crowd. So Jesus prayed the cost of having solitude times in his life. And so he must have known and and valued it and seen it as necessary. 
I've been doing um, a little bit of a chance over the summer to be at some uh, Christian conference and also to, to listen to some talks online. And I've been particularly interested in listening in to teachers and pastors who work in busy cities. So particularly those that work in New York, in London, in centers of the world, because I'm intrigued to see what God's doing in the cities because that's where God's place does. And I believe God loves the city. If you read the scripture, God seems to have a passion for the city. But what's been interesting as I've been listening to these teachers and pastors is that increasingly they're saying more and more, we need to wait on God. In our worship, we're we're kind of feeling like God's leading us to spend even more time sort of just waiting. And it's a little bit uncomfortable because we're like, we're not sure what we're doing with this time. Perhaps some of the people in the congregation don't know how to use that time in between the songs that are being sung. But they're feeling led to spend more time waiting on God and encouraging their congregations to have that moment where they connect individually with God. And why do we find that so necessary in cities in particular? Because actually finding solitude in the city is super hard. It's super hard to do. So um, on Wednesday night, as I was putting that sticky back plastic stuff on year seven exercise books, parents in the room, yay, um, I I feel like there should be a degree course that we should have a diploma in this skill of sticky back plastic making. But as I was doing this, and it was midnight, the city was still physically quite loud and so our physicality of noise here in the city is great but then also internally our internal noise can be equally as great too and so in the city it's almost doubly hard to get solitude time out time alone and like I said there's lots of things that are beautiful about the city the fact there's all these amazing people and there's stuff to do and there's culture and there's loads that's good but as Christians possibly one of the spiritual disciplines we're going to find the hardest is that of solitude because both our physical environment and our emotional spiritual environment uh, means that that is going to be difficult for us to find so If we're going to have it, we're going to have to carve out moments of time alone with God. We're going to have to stop our freneticness and fiercely protect time out with God. In our passage today from Mark that we're focusing on, Jesus gets up very early, as we've said, and goes out to pray, uh, to be alone with Father God. So the first thing I just want us to just think about a little bit this morning is the pattern of solitude in Jesus' life. Jesus is there for us to follow. So what was his pattern of solitude? If we're going to build it into our lives, what should the pattern of it be? Well, I think that there's some clear things that stand out as we read through um, the Bible. Solitude seems to come both before and after busy activity. So here we go. Jesus, before he begins his ministry, spends 40 days in the desert on his own solitude. Before he chooses the 12 disciples, before he makes like a big decision who's going to be on his core team, he spends time alone with God. When he gets the news of John the Baptist's death, something big, traumatic, and would have been difficult for him to deal with, straight after he goes away and spends time alone with God. 
after feeding the 5,000, an amazing miracle. How cool would it be to just carry on the ride of that and then do the next miracle after that? No, straight away after feeding the 5,000, he withdraws again and gets alone with God. He gets alone with God after he heals the leper in Luke 5, before the transfiguration in Matthew 17. And then he gets alone with God in the garden of Gethsemane before he faces the cross. And so solitude seems to come both before and after key times of activity. The solitude both prepares Jesus for the things he does, but it also helps him refresh after he's given out. I find it uh, really interesting in our um, culture, because I've seen it in myself, so I think it's over there around us, how easy it is to get addicted to freneticness. You know when the adrenaline's pumping and everything's going, it's actually quite addictive because it's quite fulfilling. You know, you, you, you get that contract, you seal that deal, you go on to the next one after that and the next thing after that. And it's kind of like addictive to live at like fast pace. And like actually it's really boring and weird when you slow down and stop. And often you don't want to slow down and stop because when you slow down and stop, there's this massive chasm of doubt and loneliness that then usurps it. So you'd rather just keep going on the frenetic path of the next thing, the next thing, the next thing next thing and I just I look at Jesus's ministry and I think he could have lived like that he could have lived at that kind of pace of life and yet to stop the addiction of frenetic activity he deliberately punctuates solitude throughout his ministry that it comes both before and after the busy seasons of activity and he protects it and guards it And so Jesus stopped himself from getting addicted to that kind of high, that hit of like, oh, I've achieved that, yes. Actually, he brings it back to Father God. He gets reorientated back to true perspective on Father God. And actually, because of that, because of that, then the power of God is able to flow through him, that his activity is productive useful and enabled to be empowered because Father God can trust Jesus that Jesus isn't going to take the glory for himself. Jesus is going to do his will because he keeps coming and checking in with him. The solitude moments are the check-in points with Father God. So in life that's busy and crazy, and it's difficult to do this, and we're, we're seeing more and more um, the popularity, aren't we, of um, uh, some of our sort of northern European countries where they're sort of saying, actually, we're, we're going to uh, do less hours of work for our workers. We're going to get them to work four days a week because actually in those four days, they'll be more productive. Well, as Christians, we've known this all the time, haven't we? We've known that God has created Sabbath very deliberately for us, and we see these patterns in Jesus' ministry, not just of Sabbath, but actually that deliberate time alone with God to refresh and recharge. So Jesus had this pattern of it in his life, and he must have known uh, that it was important in order to do it, otherwise he wouldn't have done it. Jesus knew that it was a space in which Father God could speak. So often it's when we get completely alone with God that we hear God's clarity to us. 
perhaps we hear God's clarity through, through the word. We're reminded of a specific passage because we've actually taken time to stop, to quiet the other noise, that we can hear the word of God in our heads and hearts and God speaks to us. But there are some times when, um, and I've found this in my own experience, that I've given over some time to be alone with God and quite frankly, nothing much has happened. When you read over the spiritual people who've lived in the past, it seems to be that that's normal, that there are times when God's quite quiet. Perhaps in Jesus' ministry, we see it most at this critical point in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you go in further on into Mark and you read that passage of, of Jesus' time in the Garden of Gethsemane, the talking, the noise comes from Jesus. And Father God is actually very silent. And it's frustrating and annoying when you do that. Well, I put this time aside and I'm praying and you're saying nothing. And sometimes God seems to say not very much. Yet it is also my experience that every time that I have deliberately given some space to God... I have seen in one way or another the fruit of that in the weeks to come. That even if nothing much has happened in that time, the strength somehow spiritually gained from it has uplifted me in the weeks to follow. And the same is true for Jesus when he was in that Garden of Gethsemane as he wrestled over that heading towards the cross. When the time had finished, he got up and there was strength for him to carry out what God called him to do. It's interesting, and it brings us back to our passage in Isaiah, where it says those that hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Some translations of the word hope is those that wait in the Lord, but those that refresh themselves with the Lord, that give space to God, will renew their strength. So like one of God's spiritual promises to us that as we draw near to him, he will meet us. He will fill us. He will refresh us. And so we are only responsible for our part in that of coming. We also know that in solitude, Jesus was a man and Jesus himself um, received from God the grace in which to love other people around him. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes people annoy me um, and sometimes I annoy myself actually quite a lot. Um, it's not always easy, is it, living around other people? It's just not. Sometimes we have to get alone with God and, and kind of realize the, the sinner and the mess that we are before God, receive God's grace and love for us, and then out of that, extend it to those around us. And um, for me, that needs to happen, you know, fairly often because we're rubbing up against one another all the time, even if it's just with my own kids at home or whatever. But Jesus came as a human man. It seems very likely, therefore, that in those times of solitude and silence, he received the filling of the Spirit in which he could then operate his outer life out of. The degree to the effectiveness of our outer life will be related to hanging out with God. 
So um, how are we going to put it into practice, this solitude thing? We know that it breathes life and fruit into us. We know that it spiritually strengthens us. So how are we going to do it? Whatever season we're in, whatever life space we're in at the moment, how are we, how are we going to do this solitude thing? Um, how are we going to get alone with God and give God that space? Well, in many ways, I'm journeying on this, like all of you. And the, the brilliant thing about small groups in the week, if you're part of one, if you want to join one, come and speak to me. But if you're part of one, is actually we get to discuss this stuff together. What does this look like, real life in West London? How on earth are we going to fit in some periods of solitude into our busy lives? Well, the first thing to note, and I think it's just really important, is that it is a discipline. Um, it's not going to happen without a little bit of sacrifice and diligence on our part. For Jesus, at this bit in Mark that we've got, it meant he got up very early in the morning. We might not be able to do that all the time, but we might be able to do it once a week. We might deliberately choose to sacrifice watching that late night show on Wednesday night, so that on Thursday morning each week, I'm going to get up and give God 10 minutes of my time. It can mean all sorts of things, but it isn't going to happen without a deliberate plan. And I've found that the deliberate planning of it needs to keep changing as our life changes. For me at the moment, in our house, I've got a chair. And I know that when I sit in that chair, I only sit in it when I'm going to spend a little bit of time with God on my own with God. And when the dog's not on it and I've (laughs) managed to sit in it and hopefully no one else is around too much, it's my chair. It's like a physical thing. Like I'm going to sit in that chair and I'm going to give five minutes to God before I then rush on and do whatever else I think is more important or that I've got to do on my to-do list. There can be something about creating really physical spaces and zones, even when we live in very tiny places of that chair or that cushion I'm going to sit on. Really practical and really simple. But Jesus also found that he had to, to get away. And there's something within us that was... That the distraction of home and other things in our lives can be hard. So what's it looking like? Where do I get away? And when I get away to where I get to, how am I going to make sure God gets some of that time? Where I'm not doing anything else. Where I'm not trying to make my body fitter. I'm not trying to um, see the latest sight that everyone says you must go and look at. How am I going to give a bit of that time? totally unreservedly to God and it will take planning and that's why it's a discipline quite excited um, in some ways this term as a church. We're having a, like a little bit of a reset moment as a church. If you've been part of Christchurch for a long time, you'll know that we've shifted the, the services around a bit, but also that we're changing some of our midweek activity, um, which is actually quite exciting. I think God's giving us um, a fresh moment as a church just to kind of work out how we do this church stuff together in increasing ways, but also to create space for time and prayer. We've built this prayer chapel. And one of my jobs over the next few weeks is to be saying to the guys, where have we got to with sorting out the key code for it? Where have we got to with it? Um, Because what we want to do is have a space where anyone in this congregation can come and use for prayer. Because sometimes we need a space and a place to just go, that's what I'm doing in this specific place. I'm just going to give God a little bit of my time, whether that's 10 minutes or half an hour. 
on a Sunday evening to end, uh, sort of start the week. Um, you may not, you may have been in the service this morning, so you know you've, you've listened and you don't want to hear the same thing again later on. But you may want to come in to the end of worship. We just have a soft close, and there's just worship music going on. There are some people that come in. It's at Turnham Green. Come in at eight o'clock and spend 20 minutes just with God at the end of worship. Seven o'clock. Come in at seven o'clock. We'd like to go home at some point. Come in at seven o'clock. And why not spend 20 minutes just with the worship music just playing in the background quietly and come and spend a little bit of time with God? We have these amazing um, prayer and worship nights and I'm always like, seriously, they're the most amazing things to come. We've got such gifted people in Fiona and Stephen and others on the team who can lead us in worship so beautifully well at this season in our church life. We should all be at the prayer and worship evenings. They're amazing. But you might come and you might be just like, the noise It's not my kind of thing and the noise is too much. But we've been keeping this space open. And some people have just been going in there while the worship's been playing in here. But why not use these incredible buildings we have? If you work at home on a Fridays, why not pop into Turnham Green? It's going to be quiet over the lunchtimes this term. Why not pop into Turnham Green at lunchtime and give God 10 minutes? You can even come with your sandwich if you want. That's okay. Why not? Where might we deliberately and focusedly plan it in because it won't happen by accident so what does it look like for you to mimic Jesus in punctuating your freneticness with times of solitude that all you do may have the life of father God breathed into that the work you do has a kingdom focus to it because you're connecting into father God whatever that workplace is I'm praying for all of you, those of you that are leading businesses in our city at this time, those of you that are in media, those of you that are in education, whatever you're doing in your secular place and space, we're praying that you'll be God's person in that place, to be used for good, because our city needs you. And God loves you, and he's created you with the talents and gifts he's given you. But within that freneticness, can I just encourage you to punctuate it with a bit of solitude? And how you do that will be so individual to who you are, but it needs to be deliberate. It needs to be 10 minutes where you say, God, you have me. You have my full attention. Do whatever you want to do in this 10 minutes. I always take a notepad, by the way. Because as soon, inevitably, as soon as you sit down to do that, inevitably, you will see the dirty corner of the room that needs cleaning. You will remember that letter you never posted. You'll remember the email you haven't yet replied to. You will remember which child has forgotten a bit of equipment in that day. You will remember all this kind of stuff will flood through your mind. And because of where we live and because of the noise most of us are carrying, that will be huge. And you will need to sit there and you'll need to get it out. And I, I have to write it down because I'm a bit worried about remembering then that I need to then do some of these things. And you need to write it out. And I just encourage you to do really practical stuff like that because that's the place we live in. And it will take time often to get to that point where you then go, okay, God, you have me. You have my undivided attention. Here I am. And then you wait. 
And if you don't know what to do in that time, get alongside some of the people in church you spot who seem quite good at praying and worshipping and ask for their tips and advice. But why not go over the names of God? We were looking at that last week in worship. Why not just read this passage and then just meditate on it, think about it, picture it. And the life that will breathe into you to keep you spiritually fit will be phenomenally huge.